The reading is from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 18, and can be found on page 1184 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and page numbers for those are on the screen. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tichikus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you, and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea, and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you for reading that, Uh, Tricia. uh, As ever, if you could keep it open in front of you, if you have it, uh, that will help uh, you to see where we're going. Uh, Let's uh, pray together as we come to this part of God's Word. Our Father, we have uh, sung, we've prayed. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Father, that's our longing as 
Uh, We come to your word that you would speak to us, uh, that you would build us as a church. But beyond here, far beyond here, uh, would your voice fill the earth? Uh, Would the earth be filled with your glory? Uh, We ask through Jesus Christ. Amen. As Sarah said, we are coming to the end of this little series we've had in Colossians uh, the last few weeks, if you've been with us, and uh, we've been saying throughout, uh, complete in Christ. That is Paul's message uh, to this little church in Colossae. Uh, you are complete in Christ. Whatever you feel you're lacking, wherever you feel small and insignificant and weak, Christ is all you need. In him there is fullness, completeness. And the last three weeks, really, we've been thinking about what that means for us as a church and the way we relate to one another, the way we are as a church. It's been sort of looking at us. Uh, But Colossians won't let us finish there. In Colossians, Paul will say, uh, Christ is so complete, so full, that he's not just for us. We can't exhaust him. He is sufficient for the entire world. Right at the beginning of Colossians, in chapter 1, verse 6, the gospel, the message of Jesus, is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Chapter 1, verse 20, uh, through uh, Christ, God is reconciling to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Chapter 1, verse 23, uh, the gospel that you have heard has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Christ is so sufficient, so full, that for him just to be for the people in this room would be pathetic, far too small a thing for him. As this letter is written with the ambition, with the vision, that as we sung, the earth would be full of his glory. That the church would invite people in. Now if you're here this evening and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I wonder what you make of that idea how you feel about Christians, churches want to invite people in. I wonder whether you notice, as we read, Paul says in verse 5 of our reading, chapter 4, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. If you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, then that word outsider is Paul's way of talking about you. I wonder how that feels. Now, please don't misunderstand that you are hugely welcome. Uh, We love having each week people here who aren't Christians, who are curious or irritated or kind of thinking things through. Uh, You'd be very welcome to join us, uh, very welcome to ask any question you want uh, in person, put up a hand, write something down. Uh, You won't offend anyone here. You're very welcome here. What does it mean by outsiders? Well, as we've gone through Colossians, Paul has been at pains to say what there is in Jesus Christ. In him, Paul will tell us, is the hope of glory. In him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him is all the fullness of God. In him, we saw last week in chapter 3, is our life. And the Bible would say if all those things are in Jesus, then if someone is outside of Jesus, outside of relationship to him, then they are outside of those things. Outside of hope and glory and life and wisdom, and fullness. So the church never wants to go to people and say, you should come to us because because we're better. If you spend any time with us, you know that's not true. The church wants to go to the world and say, we've received so much in Jesus. 
what we've found in him, what we've received in him, is astonishing. Will you share it? One old Christian minister, long dead now, spoke of, uh, we are uh, beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. Nothing special about us, but in Jesus, we want the world to know of him, the fullness that there is in him. And in this last chapter of Colossians, that is where Paul's focus is. Away from just this little church in Colossae, his focus is on the gospel, the message of Jesus spreading through all the world. And he writes to this little church in middle Colossae saying how they, how we, can be a part of the glorious gospel of Jesus spreading uh, throughout the world. We're going to focus uh, on verses uh, 2 to 6. That's where Paul gives his instructions. We'll dip in uh, to the rest of it uh, that was read for us uh, and see uh, some illustrations really there of what Paul's talking about. Uh, But we'll focus on verses uh, 2 to 6. How does a church take part in the message of Jesus, his fullness spreading to the ends of the world? And two things uh, Paul would say. He would say, pray devotedly, and speak wisely. Be devoted to prayer, be wise in speech. Those two things we'll see. Firstly, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote. Be attentive to prayer. Be busy with prayer. Be persistent in prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, Paul would say. Not easy. Uh, I doubt there's many in the room who'd sit their hand up and say, yes, I am as devoted to prayer as I could be. Paul gives us here two things to help us. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Being watchful or alert, awake, would be another way of saying that. Be awake, and it's easier to devote ourselves to prayer. This week in our house group, uh, we had sort of a, a free week. We'd finished uh, one series of Bible studies we were doing. Uh, the next one doesn't start uh, till next week. Had a free week. And uh, we thought we'd read through the book of Zephaniah. Uh, it's one of the Old Testament prophets. It's just uh, three chapters, a couple of pages. It took us 15 minutes to read. Uh, we chose it because starting in two weeks' time, we'll be preaching from Zephaniah here. We thought we'd get ahead of the game a little bit. So we just read through uh, Zephaniah. And uh, let me tell you, it woke us up uh, as a book. Uh, it is... Um, I won't you know, tell you everything here. i come back for that in a couple of weeks. But uh, it's a striking book. It's a book about the day of the Lord. Uh, the day when the Lord will come to judge, when the Lord will come to save. And just reading it through woke us up. The kind of conversations we had after we'd read it compared to the conversations we'd had before, they were different. Our horizon was lifted from the, the particular things of our days and the close details of our lives. We were reminded of eternal realities, reminded that the gospel of the Lord Jesus is spreading throughout the world. It woke us up. And when I said, you know, we'd read it, we chatted about it for a bit, I said, should we pray in response to that? It wasn't hard to pray. The things we'd seen, the things we'd been woken up to, it was natural to pray. Paul says, be devoted to prayer, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. Be awake, remember what's really going on, what really matters, and help us devote ourselves to prayer. And then being thankful, being watchful and thankful. Because again, to to thank the Lord will help us be devoted to prayer. 
a few years ago, I was part of a, a team doing a, a youth summer camp, like a residential summer camp, and a week-long thing, and a pretty intense week that we uh, did together, uh, looking after these teenagers and uh, teaching and doing all sorts of things. And each morning, we gathered together as a team to pray uh, together. And it gets to the last uh, day of the camp, and uh, kids have all gone home. We breathe a sigh of relief, uh, do some tidying up. And I gather for a final time to pray. And the rule on this particular camp was, when we come together to pray at the end, we only pray prayers of thanks. We've spent the week asking the Lord for all kinds of things. And at the end of the week, it was good, it was felt, uh, to just thank the Lord for his goodness to us over the last week. And what was funny was how hard it was to follow that rule. You'd find people sort of praying, uh, Father, thank you for your kindness in this and this and this. And Father, please would you... Oh, do Sorry. Uh, amen. Uh, Father, thank you for the growth that we've seen in this kid, and please would they continue to... No, 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 no. Uh, and of course, in some ways, it's slightly silly. Uh, it was good for us, probably, to discipline ourselves. We do want to thank the Lord. But as we were thanking him, it was, sort of, it was almost impossible not to ask him. You spend 15 minutes praying as a, as a group, thanking the Lord for kindness after kindness after kindness after kindness, answer after answer to prayer. And we just instinctively found ourselves asking him, Lord, you've been so good. Can we have more, Lord? Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. When we're awake, when we remember what's really going on in the world, when we're thankful, it'll help us uh, to pray, to devote ourselves to prayer. Before I say some, some practical things that might uh, help us in different areas, uh, particularly Paul's talking about uh, praying for the spread of the gospel. Of course, devote yourselves to prayer about all kinds of things, but particularly his focus here, verse 3, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Particularly here, uh, devote ourselves to prayer for the spread of the gospel. Paul says, pray for me. Uh, we'll hear about some of his team uh, at the end of this chapter and the ministries they're engaged in. So pray for mission partners. Uh, it would be a slightly loose way of uh, what's going on here. Uh, pray for those who are involved in, in different places around the world, around this city, proclaiming, speaking of Christ. Pray also for me, for us, for them. And what does Paul ask us to pray? Two things. At verse 3, that God may open a door for our message that there'd be opportunities to speak of Christ, that there'd be openness, that sort of open door to people, that they'd be responsive. And then secondly, uh, in verse 4, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So you can pray for mission partners for sort of external things, the situation, that there'd be open doors. And including praying for political situations in different places, praying, praying for sort of social situations, that there'd be opportunities and openness and, and arenas to speak of Christ. And then verse 4, pray for them themselves that they would speak. Have the confidence and the clarity and the conviction and the boldness and the wisdom to know how to speak that they would proclaim the gospel clearly as they should. How does a church like us in one little place, just 80 people in the room, I don't know. How do we be involved in the gospel of Jesus spreading to the ends of the earth? Devote yourselves to prayer, Paul would say, being watchful and thankful. Now that word devote, uh, how do you feel about that word? 
the way it works in my head uh, is I sort of have this mental picture of what it would look like to be devoted to prayer. Uh, I sort of imagine, you know, probably someone in a monastery, a nunnery, uh, you know, that's kind of what it looks like. And then I look at the realities of my life, and it feels like there's so much difference that I just sort of give up. Uh, I'm not going to make that, so just give up. Uh, Paul isn't writing to the super spiritual. He's not writing to those in a monastery or a convent, which is what it's called, not a nunnery, I've just realized. Um, He's writing to ordinary church in ordinary Colossae. Those who feel like they're lacking and weak. And, you know, attempted to listen to the voices saying, you need more than Christ, you need more than Christ. He's writing to ordinary little church, ordinary little place. Devote yourselves to prayer. And so rather than, if this is you like me, thinking, I'll never make it, I'm going to give up. What's one step? What's one thing we could do to make a little progress in being devoted to prayer? Lent is coming up. I don't know if that's a thing you notice uh, whether Pancake Day sort of is more prominent for you than uh, Ash Wednesday. But Lent is coming up, starting on Wednesday, uh, running through till Easter, uh, as it does. Um, and for some of us, you know, we'll sort of notice that and mark that in some way each year. Some of us, it completely passes us by. I'm not too bothered, really. But might that be an opportunity, this little season of Lent, to work out how can we devote ourselves to prayer? Let me give you some suggestions. Uh, maybe one of these will be a thing you think, oh, I might, I might think about that. Maybe it'll spark another idea, I don't know. Maybe during Lent, and for some of us this will be a habit already, but maybe during Lent we want to take the Lord's Prayer and just find a a time each day. I'll I'll just pray the Lord's Prayer. It will have an effect of waking us up. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Praying that, longing for that, asking for that, will wake us up. Help us to be watchful. Or maybe think, actually, particularly being thankful. That's where I could grow. That's where I could grow my devotion. Is there a time, again, during the day, don't set an alarm on your phone, on your watch. Uh, 8.30 in the morning, that's when I just forget everything. My horizon's narrow in. Maybe it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. When I hit a certain stretch of my commute, I'm just going to stop and thank the Lord for five things. It could be kind of big, significant things, gospel progress in a country that you've been reading about. It could be custard. You know, who, uh, thank the Lord. I'm going to do that. I'm going to devote myself to thanking the Lord and see what happens. Maybe particularly you'd like to focus on mission partners. How can we pray for them? I find it encouraging here, verses 7 to 9, Paul says, you're going to need some news. Verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. Verse 8, I'm sending him for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances. Verse 9, they will tell you everything that's happening here. I'm sending these people to you So you have some news about what's going on. Paul knows it's hard to keep praying, to devote ourselves to prayer, when we don't know what's going on. Now, happily, our mission partners, uh, sort of scattered around the world, don't need to send us Tychicus, uh, which would be sort of quite a slow way of communicating. We have email uh, these days. And so maybe it'd be helpful for you uh, during Lent to say, I'd love to sign up for one of our mission partners to their prayer letters. Get a bit of news every month or so. You know, what's going on? What's hard? What's encouraging? What can I pray? If you want to do that, you could uh, come and talk to me. I can get you set up with that. Email into the office, and uh, we can sort that out. Uh, alternatively, um, if you don't know who our mission partners are, then uh, we've got these sort of uh, bookmark things. Uh, at the moment, they're also under my chair, which isn't helpful. But I'll put some at the back, some at the front uh, here, so you can grab them if you want on your way out. And think, here are eight mission partners. Can I 
for, for Lent, devote myself to praying uh, for these individuals, these families. Uh, maybe that uh, would be it for you. Maybe you think actually praying with other people, that would help me. Help me to learn to pray, help me to be committed. Easier to, to keep going when we're with others. During Lent, I had a look on the calendar. There'll be one central prayer gathering. There'll be two reach the city uh, prayer meetings on a Sunday evening after the service. It's not your pattern to come along to those. Would now be a good time to just try it? Have a one-off, see how it goes. Uh, does it help you in your devotion to prayer? To give us a little taster, uh, for those who aren't used to those things, when Pete leads our prayers later, we'll do it a little bit like uh, one of those prayer meetings. So you just get a sense. Uh, what's it like? Uh, would this help you? be devoted to prayer. Well, then finally, final suggestion. If you think actually, it's my prayer by myself. That's where I'd love to grow, grow in my devotion. I read this during this week, uh, Fresh Pathways in Prayer. Uh, Julian Hardiman, uh, pastor in Cambridge, uh, Fresh Pathways in Prayer. Uh, this is 12, 11, uh, short little snappy chapters, um, 12, uh, short snappy chapters. Each one is just it's an idea of something you might add to your personal prayer life. Now, he says, you're not going to do all 12 of these. But you read through the book, you know, each one's just five or six pages. And there might be three where you think, yeah, that would help me. Sort of practical ideas, sort of lots of them framed as just conversations between two Christians trying to wrestle these things through. Uh, an easy read. Uh, I've read this this week. Uh, first person who comes and asks it for me this evening, uh, it's yours. Uh, if other people come and ask me, then I'm sure we can order some in or something, if that would help. Other books on prayer are available. Uh, you might have one on your bookshelf. Maybe Lent would be a good time for you to read something and see, can this help me to be devoted to prayer? For you, would there be one step that would help you be devoted to prayer? I'll give you a moment to think. What would it be for me? Be devoted to prayer, being watchful and thankful. For you, during Lent, or if you don't care about Lent, then that's fine. What would it be for you? to grow in devotion. How does an ordinary little church be a part of the message of Jesus Christ spreading to the ends of the earth, his glory filling the earth? Devote yourselves to prayer. And then be wise in speech. That's verse 5 and 6. First of all, be wise in the way you work towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Do you see the same thing there? The same sort of wake up, be watchful, make the most of every opportunity. Paul's encouraging us, don't sort of sleepwalk through life, but remember what's going on. There's only so much time. Make the most, make the most, be wise. What does that wisdom look like? It looks like verse 6, how we speak. Verse 6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. So that you may know how to answer everyone. Let your conversation, it's how we speak. Now, if there's one thing guaranteed, uh, well, two things guaranteed to make Christians feel guilty, it's talking about prayer and talking about evangelism, talking about speaking about Jesus with people who aren't Christians. Here we go, we've got the double whammy. Uh, but I think there are two encouragements here in verse 6. Uh, Paul is realistic. See, at the end he says, so that you may know how to stand up on the... Uh, on the bus, on the train, and say, excuse me, everyone, I'd like to talk about Jesus. See how he says in verse 6, uh, so that you may know how to, at the dinner party, you know, tap a glass and say. Do you see how he says, uh, so that you may know how, when people are talking about football, to sort of, you know, slip in Jesus Christ 
they're talking about the offside rule, and talking about Jesus, he's our last defender, and uh, off you go. He doesn't say any of that. It's not my line, I stole that, but it's quite funny, I think. Um, I don't really know what the offside rule is either, that's my confession. Uh, he says, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Some Christians will be called, you know, to bang the glass, to stand up in a train, to do what Paul did, to go places and proclaim. And we must pray for them. That's verses two to four. But we are called, most of us, so that you may know how to answer everyone. It's not at all passive, make the most of every opportunity, but it is responsive. How to answer everyone. And the second encouragement here, because when I hear, again, this might just be me, but when I hear so that you may know how to answer everyone, I start thinking, okay, I need to know a lot of stuff. I need to know all the information so I can answer everyone. I need to know about evolution. I need to know how many ancient copies there are of Mark's gospel to know if it's reliable and it's been corrupted over time. I need, on the controversial kind of issues, I need all my talking points lined up. I need to memorize them and be, you know, have the information. Paul says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. He says it's not about memorizing a lot of information, it's about a certain kind of conversation, then you'll be ready. Let your conversation always be full of grace. Words that are gracious, kind, generous. That must mean willing to reveal something of ourselves, to entrust that to someone else, but also, and maybe more uh, needed to hear this for many of us, a conversation that's willing to listen genuinely listen, not just wait till it's my turn to say my thing, but to listen and to ask a question and to listen to more and to understand someone. See, it says at the end of this, that you may know how to answer everyone, or literally, so that you may know how to answer each person. Because it would be different for her than it is for him. If our conversation is gracious, willing to expose ourselves, but willing to listen and learn, and then uh, seasoned with salt, we're saying interesting. You know how it is, you eat uh, chips without salt, and uh, it's just it's like bland, mushy, you know, what is this, and a bit of salt, and then they pop. And the salt just brings it to life. Let your conversation be seasoned with salt. It's sort of interesting, lively, which doesn't mean sort of be a great conversationalist. In this letter, you know, Christ is enough. Being seasoned with salt, being interesting, that is to have a little bit of Jesus in the conversation, because he is endlessly interesting. And that means you can be talking about anything. And if you're talking about it as a Christian, and if Jesus makes a difference to the way you think about, speak about that, then our conversation will be seasoned with salt, will be interesting, will be different from anything you could hear on Netflix, on the talking heads on the TV, on the radio news, whatever it is. Because Jesus is interesting. And Paul says those two things, if our conversation is full of grace and seasoned with salt, we'll be ready we'll be ready to answer everyone. We might not know everything. We might have to say, oh, let me think about that. We might have to say, oh, do you want to come to church where they kind of talk about these things and you could talk with someone there? But if we're ready to be gracious and salty, Jesus-y in our conversation, we'll be ready to answer people in a way that's attractive. I found interesting uh, this word in verse 6, let your conversation be always full of grace, season with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. You see, Paul isn't imagining that someone asks a question 
about Christianity, about Jesus, and we sort of shift gears. Okay, now, for these five minutes of this conversation, I need to be gracious and salty. He says, always be like this, and then you'll be ready. If it's our habit, our custom, with one another, to speak in ways that are gracious and have a little bit of Jesus in them, then that's the manner we'll be used to speaking in. And if someone asks us a question, that's just what will naturally come out of us. I can now remember uh, during this week, two uh, friends of mine uh, from uh, previous churches, uh, both of them are natural evangelists. I would always seem to be sort of speaking with different people about Jesus uh, in ways that weren't sort of weird, but uh, were engaging. And uh, as I was thinking about them this week, they both modeled this. Their conversation was always gracious and seasoned with salt. Let me give you a, in a sense, a trivial example, but it sort of illustrates. Uh, one of them, for about three years, a stubborn uh, fellow by temperament, um, and sort of when he gets into something, he went for it. For three years, whenever anyone asked him, how are you doing? How are you doing? He would say, better than I deserve. How are you doing? Better than I deserve. What do you mean? You don't only ask him that once, because uh, you got the answer. Um, well, I'm a rebel against the living God, and I deserve to be in hell. But instead, he's given me his son. He's given me Jesus. He's given me the food I've eaten today. He's given me, you know, he's given me this conversation, the ability to speak. I'm doing phenomenally better than I deserve. Now, you only asked him once what he meant. But then for three years, every time I heard someone ask him, I asked him, how are you doing? Better than I deserve. Isn't that a distinctively Jesus-y way of talking? Just in, what, five little words? Better than I deserve? He wasn't sort of proud. I'm doing great. Aren't I amazing? He wasn't grumbling when things were hard. I'm doing better than I deserve. The other one, less sort of rigid in his uh, patterns, but I remember once asking him, how are you doing? And he just looked at me and said, Richard, not well. My faith is weak, but Jesus is strong. And we, we talked. But again, isn't that a distinctively Jesus-like way of talking? It was gracious, it was generous. He was open about himself. But not grumbling, he was looking to Jesus and a hope in him. And so maybe those two weren't natural evangelists. Maybe they were just used to their conversation being full of grace, seasoned with salt. That's what it was when I spoke with them. That's what it was when other people spoke with them. When they were asked questions about Jesus, they just naturally, what came out of them was gracious and seasoned with salt. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. As so again, let me give you a moment. Someone this evening may ask you, how are you doing? What do you say to them? What's a way of answering that question that's, that's true? That's gracious, that's seasoned with salt, that's different from the way that you'd answer it if you weren't a Christian. I think, what's one thing at the moment that you've been enjoying about Jesus, struck by about Jesus? One area where you think, I couldn't keep going if it wasn't for Jesus, I'd give up if it wasn't for Jesus. What would it be for you? Could our conversation this evening be, as it is, it's not that this would be a complete, not a complete change for us, but could we grow in our conversation being full of grace, seasoned with salt? Because Paul says, if it is, we're ready to answer everyone, whatever questions come our way.
Devote yourselves to prayer. Be wise in speech. And then Paul says, we're ready. We're ready. Which might not feel like enough. (laughs) It might still feel very fragile, very weak. Praying might just feel like hard work and I'm achieving nothing and our words feel pathetic. And so Paul gives us this list of his friends, his partners, at the end, just to say we're we're not alone. I wonder if you wondered, as Trisha read it, why is it so long? Why so many names of people we've never heard of and can't really pronounce? Why so much of that? There's normally one or two in Paul's letters, but apart from Romans, this is the longest. Why is that? Is it just because the Colossians, they were the church that felt they were lacking? They were weak, they were small, they were insignificant. And Paul says, no, 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 there are loads who love you, who are laboring in the same work as you, who are trying to pray and speak in ways that are devoted and gracious and wise. Let me encourage you with them, says Paul. And so all these names of people who are cheering on the Colossians. I love verse 17, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. No idea who he is. Uh, he never appears again in the Bible. What was his ministry? Oh, I don't know. Uh, but here's Paul writing to him. Archippus, keep going. Keep going. Well done. Complete it. Keep going. There'll be Christians around the country, churches around the country, who look to us as we look to them and say, keep going. You're doing great. Keep pushing. Keep praying. Keep speaking. Paul cares enough about this Archippus who isn't mentioned in the rest of the Bible. You know, he's not got this big, impressive role like Paul and the others. But Paul cares enough to write to him and say, keep going. Keep going. Complete the ministry we've received in the Lord. But probably verse 12 would have been the biggest encouragement for them, I guess. Epaphras. Verse 12. Epaphras, who's one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. We know from earlier in the letter, Epaphras, we're here. He's one of you. He's from Colossae. Uh, he told some people there about Jesus. He'd become a Christian through Paul. He told some people in Colossae about Jesus and had to leave for some reason. And now he's gone. We don't know for how long. But Epaphras sends greetings. He remembers us. He doesn't just remember us. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. Epaphras is praying for us. Just before Christmas, I got a phone call uh, from an old minister of mine, a minister of a church I used to be at. Five years since I left that church, probably about a year since I'd sort of seen him properly to speak to, bumped into him once or twice and other things. And I got a phone call out of the blue. That's surprising. Uh, is everything all right? I says, uh, Richard, no real reason for phoning. Um, I was praying for you and Emma this morning, and I realized I, I don't know what to pray for. Would you tell me so I can pray? That's a good phone call to get. He's, he's still praying for us. And you know, for the five years, he's, he's been praying for us. I was encouraging to get the phone call, but through all the five years, it was still true. He was praying, and there'll be people for us. We might not know it. Maybe it's a grandma. Maybe it's someone who used to be at this church and who's had to move cities or gone to St. Martin's or something and it isn't here for some reason. Maybe it's someone who is still sort of here but can't come to church very often because they're stuck at home for one reason or another. There'll be people around the place, around the country, praying for us. There'll be the Epaphrases, and we won't know it because they didn't know Epaphras was praying for them until Paul writes and tells them. 
There are people all over praying for us. And why is that an encouragement? Because they're praying to Jesus. That he is enough. Our prayers will feel hard. They'll feel pathetic. It'll feel like we're not getting anywhere. Our words will seem fragile and vulnerable. And what good are they going to do? But Jesus, in whom is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, in whom is the hope of glory, in whom is life, he can fill them. He will take our prayers and take our words and fill them and use them that the earth will be filled with his glory. Jesus is enough. So Holy Trinity Platt, will we see to it that we complete the ministry we've received in the Lord? Will we devote ourselves to prayer? What would that look like for you the next few weeks? Is there one step to grow in devotion to prayer? Will we be wise in how we speak? What would that look like to speak graciously and saltily, Jesusly, uh, this evening? Always. So we're ready to answer one another. Will we devote it? Will we complete the ministry? Because we've received it, like Archippus, in the Lord. And so whatever it looks like, it is complete, it is sufficient, it is full in him. Let's pray together. Our Father, once again, we long that you would speak till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Father, our prayers in and of themselves are nothing, our words are nothing. But we praise you, we thank you that you choose to use them, that the gospel would go to the ends of the world. Our Father, we pray for Graham and Sabine Stockton, for Cy Pip Wilson and the kids, for Tim, Annie and their kids, for Margaret Hill, for Dan and Vicky, for Paul and Grace Robinson, for Anna Sims, for Stephen Joe Wheatley and their kids. Father, we pray that doors would be open for them, for the message that they may proclaim the mystery of Christ. We pray they would proclaim it clearly as they should, that their conversation would always be full of grace and seasoned with salt, that they would know how to answer those who speak to them, that they in the particular roles that they have would know how to speak, how to proclaim Christ in the places that you've called them to. Please through them would the gospel spread around the world and please through us. Please teach us to pray, please teach us to speak in ways that honour Christ, in ways that the Spirit will use uh, to see his kingdom spread, his uh, gospel bear fruit throughout the world. And Father, please give us the encouragements of those who are praying for us, who love us, who are spurring us on. Uh, please would those encouragements drive us to keep going and to see what you might do through the labours of this little church. In Jesus' name, amen.